So why would everyone that's got PCOS not be put on an anti-androgen? I guess that because all drugs have a side effect, have mm. like downsides, is that we don't just want to go blanketly prescribing because, well, not that I prescribe, but I would say as a health system, it's probably not a good idea to do that because it does have like downsides. But they are pretty much trying to do that by suggesting everyone with PCOS go on the pill, pill. which yeah. is very, very common. As we said before, like depending on the pill, a lot of them are anti-androgens. And so, I mean, it is it is kind of happening. Yeah. And that's where I think that we need to be way better at looking and going, well, actually, there are, there are so many ways that we could treat this yeah it doesn't have to just be an anti-androgen there are so many other great ways we can reduce your androgens in your body by actually identifying your PCOS drivers and fixing them and lifestyle treatment can be as effective if not more effective than medications and have so many more benefits and no down pretty much no downsides Mm mm-hmm Hi, I'm Claire Goodwin and this is the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. I have PCOS too and I know how hard it can be to get the help you need. So I bring together my expertise as a registered nutritionist and exercise scientist together with other experts I trust and people with real life lived experience of PCOS to help you get the information you need to make a real difference to your symptoms. I'm super excited to announce the release of our new PCOS management app, Ovi. As someone who has PCOS, I saw firsthand how much hyper-personalized tweaks to my lifestyle had a dramatic impact on solving my PCOS symptoms. As a registered nutritionist and exercise scientist, I saw the same effect for many of my patients. But I also saw that only seeing me once a month or even every few weeks just didn't work for most people. Changing what we eat, how we move, and sometimes the very essence of who we are, like being a perfectionist, is really tricky. And in order to see real change, we need constant support and reinforcement. And we also need tools like recipes, workouts, and cheat sheets right in our pocket. So when we're in the midst of standing in the supermarket aisle, we know what to choose to help support our changes. My PCOS Protocol group program was an amazing start in helping to achieve this, but I knew we could do way better. I knew that we could get even more personalized, convenient, and provide an elevated user experience for you. So this is why I created Ovi, to give you your personalized PCOS pathway that's based off your symptoms and your goals right in your pocket so that you can access it at any time. And not just created by me, but by an incredible team of nutritionists, psychologists, physiotherapists, exercise physiologists, and more. So head over to our website, ov.io, that's O-V-I-E dot I-O, and take the questionnaire. It's completely free, and you'll find out what's driving your PCOS, or what I formerly referred to as your PCOS root cause. I can't wait for you to be part of the OV community. Today we're talking about anti-androgens for PCOS. So anti-androgens are things that are going to reduce our testosterone, really, is what we're talking about for PCOS. So this, this is the medications that are often prescribed to people with PCOS. So today I'm talking with Annabelle and our team about this. Hello. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we're going to answer lots of questions that we've had over the years about different like anti-androgen drugs and which ones are more effective and which ones are less effective and kind of what are the pros and cons because with all drugs there are pros and cons like there's no drugs really that have no downsides and really it's all just about weighing up the benefit for you and sometimes 
the benefit outweighs the con, but mm. sometimes it doesn't. And I think this is where when you understand what they each do, you can then maybe make a better choice, make a more informed choice than just the five seconds when you're sitting at the doctor's office and they say, oh, do you want me to prescribe this? And you're like, well, yeah, I don't mm. know what it does. So, okay, like yeah. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, this is exactly what I was having issues with when I had acne and you, you're not the expert, so you don't really know. Um, so what are androgens? Yes, androgens are a group of hormones in your body and mm. they're normally talked about as the quote-unquote male hormones. So testosterone is the one that we're most familiar with. And although they're like thought of as male hormones, actually testosterone is like the most abundant hormone, mm. sex hormone in the female body. So we have way more testosterone than we do have estrogen. So we st- even people without PCOS still have lots of testosterone in their body. So it's not just something that males have. We have it too, every, every woman. But it's just that in PCOS, most people with PCOS have more testosterone than what is optimal. And mm. so when you're getting more testosterone, then you're more likely to get symptoms of that. So things like facial and body hair growth, acne around your chin and jawline especially or maybe on your chest or back or buttocks uh, and also hair loss in the top of your head as well so there's um testosterone is not the only one there's also other androgens so there's one called dhas and that's produced mostly in your adrenal glands and that's why it's connected with stress because that's where your stress hormones are also produced and there's also another one called anisinidione but it's mostly the problem is is when it's con- they're converted into this really potent form called DHT, and that's what really does the damage in terms of all of those um, like undesirable symptoms like mm. facial body hair and acne and hair loss and stuff like that. So that's when we're talking about antiandrogens, that means lowering those so that you mm-hmm. then don't get those symptoms. Mm-hmm. And in what forms can you get? Antiandrogens. Generally, it's a like it's a drug. It's a pill. Yeah. Like, so, I guess it, the more the different forms is that it can have different effects. Yeah. So there and different are different strengths. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and different strengths. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. So there is there are like drugs that are just antiandrogens, and then there are drugs that are antiandrogens wrapped up in something else like the contraceptive pill, where yeah. it's not its it's not its main job. Its main job is to stop you ovulating so you don't get pregnant. Mm. But uh, but because of the the component that they chose for that, it has an antiandrogen effect. So I think that's probably a better way to think about it. Is is it like just its only action or is it kind of like a bonus action that it has? Mm. But yeah, that's really why they're important and can be really helpful in PCOS. Yeah, so you mentioned... Everyone has testosterone, but why is it that some people get symptoms such as acne or hirsutism from the testosterone? Yeah, so generally that's because of just the amount in the body, um, amount of especially free testosterone and also how much that is converting into that DHT, which is the really potent form. So... Some people are just genetically a bit more predisposed to do that. And other people, um, so even if you have PCOS and you have high testosterone, so I had high testosterone, but I've never had hirsutism, facial body hair growth as a symptom. I get a little bit on like the back of my mm. thighs, but that's it. 
like nothing kind of like facial body mm. apart from that so you'd then be like well how does that work because you've got high testosterone but you don't get that symptom um and i think that probably comes down a bit to genetics and whether you're genetically predisposed there is also some thought that the form of the testosterone so i also had like higher dheas which is the androgen like sorry the adrenal androgen the stress hormone one and that one seems to be less likely to cause hirsutism than like testosterone free testosterone so there's yeah there's a few different variables there but i think that genetics play a really strong role in who's going to develop that um there's also a big component that like insulin sensitivity will play there as well so if you've got if you've got more insulin resistance and your body's producing more insulin then that's going to drive more testosterone and potentially the insulin has some has a role in the um in the symptom production as well in terms of like acne and hirsutism too so Mm. that's kind of like a can be a a double whammy effect Mm. so reducing your insulin yeah. could also help can also help yeah absolutely and this is why they've seen that giving people metformin which is an insulin sensitizing drug can it's not an anti-androgen by any stretch like a, you would never see it termed an anti-androgen mm. um but its effect is on insulin but the kind of resulting effect can be on reducing testosterone and reducing androgens mm. so that's kind of one of the ones that it's like it's not labeled anti-androgen but it's like its effect in the body can have that effect mm. so we've mentioned acne and hirsutism are there any other reasons why someone might take anti-androgens hair loss so especially in like the crown of your head uh-huh. um or if you see like the part um your part widening or receding hairline that is generally caused by the androgens as well mm. and so what happens i guess what's quite interesting to understand is like how this happens like what is it so when it comes to acne the testosterone and DHT the androgens they stimulate your oil glands to produce more oil and so if you're producing more oil then those pores are more likely to get clogged and when they get clogged that's when an infection forms and then that's when an acne like cyst or pustule forms Mm. so if we can stop the oil production then we can stop the acne or significantly reduce it so that's the way it works in acne in uh hair growth so we all have these really fine hairs on and you just see them on your face like look at the mirror closely and you'll see that yeah the peach fuzz (laughs) yeah and so that's called um yeah we'll just call it peach fuzz when testosterone gets into that hair follicle of the peach fuzz it can turn that hair into what's called a terminal hair and they're the long thick hairs generally dark but in some people they're blonde um but that that's called a terminal hair and that's it's testosterone that turns that so we have testosterone like in our eyebrows and stuff and that's what helps to turn those into terminal hairs so not all of the cells on your face are sensitive to testosterone generally it's around that like chin and jawline and that's why you'll you won't grow like facial hair in the middle of your forehead because those cells aren't sensitive to testosterone and this is why if it's PCOS driving the acne it'll be around that chin and jawline because those cells are sensitive to testosterone if you're getting acne on your forehead it's likely something else that's driving that not PCOS so Mm. the yeah so it's the again the the androgens that are turning that little peach fuzz into a terminal hair and then in terms of your hair on your head 
um, if the testosterone, androgens, DHT is getting into those hair follicles in your head, what they do is they actually kill that hair follicle, they shrink it, and so, um, and that's the way you can, why you can get hair thinning and hair loss. Um, and again, those the hair, the cells on the top, on the crown of your head are way more sensitive to testosterone than around the back of your head, mm-hmm. and this is why. When you see males that lose hair, generally it'll be in the crown of that head and they might have a band around their back where they keep yeah. their hair. Yeah. So, yeah, that's quite an easy way to think about it is that it's the cells that are sensitive to testosterone, those areas that are sensitive to testosterone that you're more likely to get those symptoms and why that happens and why you don't get, like, hair growing in the middle of your forehead. Yeah, so it's always going to be the same in men and women where, like, the yeah. testosterone-sensitive areas. Yeah, totally. And so same thing, mm. like, on your chest. You know, you can grow, like, one of the areas of herstism is, like, here on your chest. Yeah. And, that, again, that's where, or on your back or on your buttocks. And, again, yeah. that's where males can grow here too. So those that those are the cells that are more sensitive to testosterone. So, yeah, so that's kind of, like, how it happens, why it happens. So why would everyone that's got PCOS not be put on an anti-androgen? I guess that because all drugs have a side effect, having mm. like downsides, is that we don't just want to go blanketly prescribing because, well, not that I prescribe, but I would say as a health system, it's probably not a good idea to do that because it does have like downsides. Yeah. But they are pretty much trying to do that by suggesting everyone with PCOS go on the pill, pill. which yeah. is very, very common. As we said before, like depending on the pill, a lot of them are anti-androgens. And so, I mean, it is it is kind of happening. Yeah. And that's where I think that we need to be way better at looking and going, well, actually, there are there are so many ways that we could treat this. Yeah. It doesn't have to just be an anti-androgen. There are so many other great ways we can reduce your androgens in your body by actually identifying your PCOS drivers and fixing them. And lifestyle treatment can be as effective, if not more effective than medications and have so many more benefits and no down, pretty much no downsides. Mm -hmm. But then again, I think that depending on the severity and the person, they might really need that anti-androgen offer to them. And so therefore I think it's, yeah, it's important to know what's available to you and what are the kind of the pros and cons and if you then want to go down that path. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think we can just have like a blanket, well, if your hirsutism is a seven on the scale, then you get offered this. But if it's only a five, you don't get offered this. Because that's not fair. Like everybody should be able to know what's out there for them. And if they want to take that, great. Yeah, it's totally up to like personal preference and a small bit of hirsutism might affect someone mentally, whereas like mm. a bit more might not affect someone. So it literally is just down to personal preference, how it's making you feel. Yeah, definitely. Or don't feel like if your hirsutism is on the, you know, you see other people where it's way worse yeah, than thinking, oh, well, I sh- shouldn't go on this because I, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But do realise that there are some really significant downsides. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of weighing that up. So what are the different brand names and types of antiandrogens that are available? So the most common would be the pill, but not all, all pills are antiandrogen. And yeah. this is where I see so many people, I'd say probably 40% of our, like, PCOS protocolers and OVs are on the wrong pill like mm. it's not helping their symptoms and they they don't know why they've been put on that pill they're just like oh yeah well I just got this is the one that they prescribed and I didn't really know any different 
And sometimes it's working really well for them and they don't have strong androgen symptoms, so it's fine. But in others, they do. And actually the pill that they've been put on is actually making it worse rather than making it better. So this is why I think it's always really good to check what you've been put on and make sure that it is... If you are on one, then it might as well be helping your symptoms. So the reason that it can be helpful or not helpful is because of the different ingredients that are in the pill. So in every pill, every combined pill, there is a, what's called ethanol estradiol. So it's like the synthetic form of estrogen. And there is a progestin, which is the synthetic form of progesterone to kind of mimic what your body would be producing if it was ovulating. So when you're taking the combined pill, it stops you from ovulating. You're not producing any of your own progesterone. Instead, the um, you're getting it, you're getting some synthetic form from the pill, but some <clears throat> progestins, depending on when they were manufactured, some of the earlier ones actually made testosterone worse, and this is why a lot of the early pills that were you know from the 50s, 60s, were like yes they did the job of contraception, but the side effects were quite bad and people didn't like them. So they've then gone on to make new progestins and a few of them they've manufactured to be anti-androgen. Um, but <clears throat> the one, um, so the one that's probably the most potent for things like hirsutism is one called Diane or Diane 35. Again, you'd think, well, why don't they just put everyone with PCOS on that pill? But I think there is something to do with blood clotting factor or risk of blood clots that it has, so they don't put it on everyone. Mm. And some people, um, especially if they're younger, they want the put, to put them on like the mini pill, which is a smaller dose. And so that's a better option, especially if a lot of younger people. Um, some people just, they want on just the progestin only one. So again, that changes things. So there's not a one size fits all, but... Um, it's really common for your doctor just to not have, you know, in the 10, 15 minutes they've got with you and to make this decision, just forget that you have PCOS or not quite understand that and therefore just recommend another well-tolerated but not great for PCOS pill. So it, it just happens. And so it's always mm. worthwhile just um, even we do this with a lot of our, with anyone that comes through OV and the questionnaire that we ask you at the start of OV, we ask you if you're on hormonal birth control and then you get a module about that when you're in there to just explain what it does how it works and what the different types are to make sure that you're on the right type and and compare and make sure that you are on a good type um but yeah it's just making sure that you are on one that's actually going to support your goals rather than hinder them Mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than if you're already suffering from hirsutism you've been put on a pill to lower that but your doctor just hasn't quite thought about that and has put you on one that's actually pro testosterone and it's getting worse and you don't know why and you're doing all of these things and laser hair removal and spending money only for it to be getting worse it's just so demoralizing when it can be such a quick change yeah to at least try another one that is like anti-androgen and a lot of the anti-androgen ones are really well tolerated really well tolerated um it's just that yeah some of them you have to be careful about um especially if you have a genetic family history of blood clotting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, so that's kind of the main one. Like, did you, when you got put on the pill, did you, did anyone kind of like ask you or did you have to, did it take you a while to get the right pill? Yes. um, Yeah, I've been on a few. I've been on the implant and actually that made my skin really bad Mm -hmm. to get it out. And I put up that with that for, 
so long. I actually think I was on that for like nine months. And then I was like, something's definitely not right. And then I came off, went on Jeanette. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been on since. And that's like helped with my acne so much, mm, yeah. so much. Like I had such bad scarring. And like I went on it for like my mental health as well. And there was the time where it was like, do you want to go on this pill or do you want to go on Rakuten? And uh, like, I'd heard stories about Rakuten and people were like, oh, it makes you depressed. I was like, I'm already depressed with my skin. So I was like, I'm not gonna try that. I'll go on the pill instead. But yeah, it's like, things like that. It's like, okay, I'm between a rock and a hard place. place. Like, it's like, what are my my options? Neither are great. Exactly. And I mean, that's kind of the, like one of the ones, like the Implanon implant is, mm. um, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say it shouldn't be offered to people with PCOS because it absolutely should be because some people really want an implant, but it should be really explained that this is, um, yes, this is a great contraceptive, permanent contraceptive, mm. makes it really easy, but the progestin in it is really like, is andro- androgenic. So it's going to increase that. It's going to yeah. likely make your acne worse. And also likely make weight gain worse for people as well and this is what we've seen in a study that came out in 2021 where they took three large groups of females actually four of them they put one on the copper iud which has got no hormones in it so that was like the control group so it was still a permanent you know like a contraceptive but it was um it there was no hormones in it one group they put on the implant one group they put on the uh, IUD and one group they put on the mini pill and no sorry the Depo-Provera injection mm-hmm. and um, the group the Depo-Provera injection group they their weight increased significantly within six months like more than I think it was more than 15 kilos mm. I can't actually remember the stats off the top of my head we have done a, a, a podcast that we'll link to in the show notes on that but weight loss sorry, weight gain and different hormonal birth controls. And so, you know, things like that, if someone's already struggling with like body weight and PCOS and acne, and then just through like not thinking this through, Mm. they've been put on something that they shouldn't really have or should have been given, you know, maybe they said, yes, I absolutely want this because it's my friends on it. And like, she says it's great. And so I definitely want it. And I don't care what the side effects are then like totally if you're not willing to listen but if someone actually talked them through and said this is what this will do likely here is a better option that does the same thing then i'm sure that most people would not choose that yeah you know like if it was like Definitely. the difference between the deep injection and like the marina you know like same thing permanent don't have to think about taking a pill um but such different effects in terms of weight and acne or androgen symptoms Mm -hmm. would I'm sure that most people would not make that choice and so it just astounds me the amount of people that I see that have been put on stuff because I was like I'm pretty sure if you were given actually informed yeah like lots of information you wouldn't have made this choice yeah and I think sometimes when you're in that position you don't even you sometimes don't ask the questions like you're so desperate to like yeah help with symptoms or I don't know that's just like the solution for you and you're like yep sure I'll do it yeah 
or you're not really even give, given any time or made to feel mm. like you can ask questions. Mm. It's just like, okay, well, we could just put you on the pill. What about that? Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. And like, yeah. okay, well, what do you want? Rakatane or the pill? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, what yeah, the, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's not like, and if you did ask, okay, what are the, like, what are the pros and cons? You probably get like quite a, generally quite a short response. Mm. Um, so I think that. Yeah, there just needs to be a lot more information about what the different pros and cons are. Um, so that's, yeah, that's hormonal birth control. And so that's the combined pill, but the same thing goes. Like the, the part of it that's the androgenic part is the progestin, which is in all pills. It's in the mini pill. It's in the um, implant, the depo injection, the IUDs. The only one that doesn't have any hormones is the copper IUD, the only permanent um, birth control. Mm-hmm. So everything like that. And so again, it just comes down to choosing one that's either, sometimes you can't get an anti-androgen, or actually you can't get an anti-androgen implant yeah. or permanent form. It's only in the combined pill. Oh, so if you really mm. want the, like a permanent form, of like an implant or an IUD, then the best we can kind of go for is just like a neutral one. It's not really going to stimulate that much more, but it's not going to make things better. And again, this is kind of like all the weighing up. Like if someone's got um, endometriosis, then the Marina IUD has been shown to be really helpful for pain in endometriosis, but it's not going to make hirsutism better. So again, it's weighing that up and goes, well, what's more important to you? Mm. Is it that, or could we then combine that with, I mean, lifestyle treatment as well, but when we're talking about just drugs, which is this what this podcast is about mostly, is could we combine that with spironolactone to give you the anti-androgen effect? So that's the next drug. Is like, so we talked about the, the hormonal birth control. Next one would be um, spironolactone or spiro or mm. aldactone. So those are the brand names for it. And this is a drug that... Um, the, as I said before, the, the hormonal birth control stops you from ovulating. It's how it works as a birth control in most birth controls. Uh, whereas spironolactone does not stop most people ovulating. If you're on the lower dose, sometimes at a higher dose, it mm. can stop ovulation. But for most people who are on a lower dose, it doesn't stop ovulation. Yeah. That's not how it's intended to work. It is instead intended to just reduce the testosterone. Mm. So this is... Um, one that if you still wanted to ovulate and get your period but also wanted to reduce something like hirsutism or acne this could be an option mm. again it's not without its side effects yeah. and one of the effects is that if you so you also the recommendation is to not get pregnant on it because it can cause birth defects um but the it it is it has also got some downsides in terms of other like negative parts of spironolactone. So really interestingly, spironolactone wasn't developed as a anti-androgen drug. It was actually developed as a diuretic, which is what helps your body get rid of water. Um, so this is the interesting thing about so many drugs that sometimes you you create something and it has a completely different effect than an intended mm. and this is why we have so many quote-unquote side effects of drugs is because you think you're doing something but because the body is so connected it affects something else downstream yeah. and so this is something that they found with spiro when they first created it was then 
um, yes, it had the diuretic effect, but it also really significantly uh, reduced like testosterone. So there are some downsides of spironolactone. Um, and then like while you're taking it, a lot of people absolutely fine, don't find mm-hmm. many downsides at all. But for, uh, some people can get like a regular heartbeat or muscle weakness, loss of libido because it's reducing that testosterone. Mm. So some of those things can just throw you a little bit too far. Yeah. But the main, I think the main downside is that most people get a rebound when they come off it, same as the pill. And I think that this is something that most people don't realize is that when you're on these drugs, is that, so for example, you're on the, like on the pill, your body is um, getting a negative feedback or getting feedback because your testosterone is lower to like produce more testosterone. And so it produces more. And so when you come off that, there's more than what there was at the start. There's right. also, when you're on the pill, it increases what's called sex hormone binding globulin, which are the sponges that go around and mop up the testosterone. Yeah. So the pill is giving you those sponges. And so when you take the pill away, you take away all those sponges. So there's nothing to go around and mop up that testosterone. So there's just so much more there to cause even more havoc. And this is why people talk about post-pill rebound of like acne or hirsutism especially acne Mm. and it can last like months up to years for some people as well yeah and so I think that it is that's probably the major downside is that it's like it can be a really helpful fix but it's never going to be a long-term fix unless you're willing to stay on that for your life yeah which most people are not because Mm. of some of the negative effects that it has yeah so I guess like for someone going to the doctors with acne or hirsutism and being desperate to kind of relieve the symptoms um, and they might get put on something like the pill or spironolactone, that's like, I'm thinking personally, I'm like, oh, that's quite scary because like that was something that I felt like I needed at the time and then you kind of just do use it cruise through a bit and then you're like one day when you want to have kids or something like that you're like okay gonna have to come off this now then you're like oh am I gonna get this wave um so I guess like for people who are in that position what's a good way to Hmm. reduce that um surge that might come when you come off yeah, so this is where we really want to actually try and address the reason that your body is producing this in the first place. Because the reason is that it's not just because you're not on the pill that you're getting this high testosterone. It's because your your body is driving you to produce more testosterone. So we've got to figure out what is driving that. And is it your blood sugar and insulin? Is it your stress hormones? Is it something else like your thyroid or chronic inflammation? And then actually start to just adapt your lifestyle to start improving that. And that's what mm. we can do for months or years before you want to come off that pill because getting pregnant is not the only thing it could be that for some people it's just not having a great impact on their mental health or on their weight or on um they just want to start ovulating again so they can actually use their power of their hormones to help with like training and exercise and Mm. feeling good so there's lots of reasons for that and so what we can do is to start to work on those underlying drivers and fixing your tweaking your lifestyle to really improve that for a few months and then come off it yeah the pill you can't really titrate off it's kind of like you just sort of stop whereas spironolactone what you can do is just slowly decrease the amount 
Um, I mean, you could do that with a pill as well. You could go onto like a mini pill, but most people don't. They're like changing a pill is quite a big thing, whereas yeah. just changing the amount that you're on is a lot less likely to have impacts in the meantime. So you, you just kind of stay on that and then come off it. Um, but even I would say clinically, even with that, some people just have no problem. They just breeze through and it's great. Um, but the most likely improvements or less rebound is those that have spent months and months really fixing this first and then coming off it Mm -hmm. not everyone has the luxury of that that's fine but it's just if you can that's definitely the best way to go about it is actually fixing the underlying issue while you're on the medication medication Mm -hmm. is a great symptom suppressor and the lifestyle stuff can help with the actual underlying problem yeah combination of the two and then yeah, exactly, and then and then come off. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about Rakutane and Doxy? Do these are these antiandrogens, or do these work differently? Yeah, they are not antiandrogens, but they're often recommended for acne because yeah. they help with acne in different ways, though. So, doxycycline is a low-grade antibiotic, and so remember how I said before that the way that acne is. Uh, created or the way that happens is that your body overproduces oil and then that when it's overproducing oil the the duct is more likely to get clogged and then that gets infected and that's what causes the pustule or the cystic nodule Mm -hmm. so if you're taking doxycycline it stops the infection part so you're still producing all the same oil it's still likely to get clogged but because there's no infection there's no pustule. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly the same way that like topical treatments like um, even retinoids work. So yeah. they can work. And also other like um, uh, benzoperoxide. Is it benzoperoxide? Um, so like kind yes. of like topical acne yeah. treatments, again, is helping to reduce the risk of infection because those are... So... That's how that works. But again, it's kind of like the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. You know, like you're still producing this amount of oil. We haven't actually addressed the reason why your body, why your oil glands are overproducing oil. We've just kind of come in and stopped the infection part. And it can have some really detrimental effects in terms of gut health. You know, if you're taking antibiotics for like months, if not Mm -hmm. years, that can be really detrimental and therefore have ongoing impacts for other parts of your health and even PCOS because we know that there is definitely a gut factor when it comes to PCOS people Mm. with PCOS have a different gut microbiome than people without PCOS we don't know quite know what happens first whether it's like that helps to drive the PCOS Mm -hmm. or it's a um it's like a result of yeah but it is 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 important roacatane is again different it's not an anti-androgen what that does is it actually shrinks the sebum gland so your body doesn't produce as much oil and this is that how that works so it's kind of a bit more treating the problem of the overproduction of oil because we shrink that gland but again it's not actually treating the testosterone factor it's just actually shrinking the oil so again you're still going to have all of that testosterone and it's not going to help with anything else like hirsutism it's just going to help yeah with the acne um, but 
it can be really helpful for a lot of people so it can it can work a lot but as you said before when you were like weighing up with pill or Rakuten for yourself mm. you were like well I know the Rakuten can have a really significant mental health issue or mental health side effect and that is very well documented and well known yeah. um, and can be quite severe for some people yeah. again some people sail through no issues yeah. other people really like significant issues and it's unfortunately luck of the drawer who gets it like there's no real knowledge about who's going to who's going to tolerate it really well and who's going to become suicidal yeah right like it's It's the same with so many like drugs or whatever like with the contraceptive pill like something that works for you like for someone else could have complete different side effects or yeah exactly and so that's where it's so hard and, and why I said that all drugs come with these risks and it's just weighing up and going okay well mm-hmm. is uh, is that is that risk worth it for me at the moment and sometimes we make these decisions because we don't actually know that there's another option like we don't actually know that like I took doxycycline for more than six months like before I knew yeah, me that, too. <laughs> yeah that if I actually could achieve the same result by just changing what I was eating and actually probably had a quicker response yeah um same thing with Rakuten like it's a lot more of a a long-term solution although I was just reading a stat before that 70% of people that take Rakuten have a rebound so it it works for a little bit but then it's not a permanent solution which is Mm. what it's marketed as and I know talking to a lot of people that People, they do know that people with PCOS are more likely to have a recurrence of acne after about two years. Yeah. So again, it's not, you know, that you might have a friend who took it once and their skin has been perfect ever since. Whereas you took it, your skin improved, but then now it's come back two years later and you're like, what? Like, why is this yeah. different for me? And that is because the thought is if you have those more of those androgens, that they can stimulate, I don't know whether it's the regrowth of the sebum gland or maybe like um, just that other, you know, like it doesn't actually shrink all sebum glands. I'm not sure what the mechanism is there, but they do know that the androgens have a big part in the rebound of acne after taking Rakuten mm. or the recurrence of acne after taking Rakuten. So, yeah, it's definitely not a permanent solution. Um, but they're doing different things as well that now they're trying like lower dose of Rakuten. Yeah. Um, the, so Rakuten is the brand name. The The drug is called iso, isotretinoin. And it's the oral form of that. So you can get tretinoin like cream, which is the, it's a retinoid. That's what it is. And, but this is the oral form. You take it orally and that's like kind of more there why it's having a, like an internal impact as opposed to if you take isotretinoin, like put it on your skin, it's more of an antimicrobial effect. So this is, yeah, it's really interesting that people with PCOS tend to have this kind of rebound Mm -hmm. and but whether you just need to take maybe two or three courses. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of a lot more of a longer term solution. I, yeah, I don't mm. know. We don't have that much research, unfortunately. But it'd be mm. really interesting to hear from people. We'll ask maybe some of our OVs what their experience has been and if they, especially if they've taken it multiple times. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is one of those ones that unfortunately 
there are so many downsides. Like it's it's not just the mental health issue. People get really dry skin, can can't go in the sun. Yeah. So, and also again, just that thing that we don't really know yet all of the other effects that it's having in the body too. So, Mm -hmm. just like the spironolactone it was only kind of by coincidence that they discovered that it also lowered testosterone because that certainly wasn't why it was developed Mm -hmm. that there are these things that maybe we don't yet know are having um, an impact but it has been around for quite a while so hopefully although so is metformin and we only just found out in the last couple of years that babies that are exposed to metformin um, when they were inside the uterus have are like 40% more likely to have like metabolic damage than those that aren't exposed to metformin. So, oh, and that's wow. only just last couple of years yeah. we've like really found that out. And metformin has been around for, oh, it's almost 50 years, I think. Wow. So it just shows you that just, just because something's been around for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that it is like completely safe yeah. or there's no, nothing that we don't know about it yet. Um, and it's so interesting. Like if you, even if you Google like metformin mechanism of action, It'll be like, it'll say how, like, we're still a little bit unsure exactly how this works in this instance. And you're like, that is so crazy that we just still don't know. And that drug companies can get away with that, that Mm -hmm. of not knowing everything that it does. And you're like, if that's something that's been around for 50 years, like these ones that are like five years, it's like, oh, what's going to come out in 50 years time? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's a little bit scary sometimes. But also too... I just, you know, all we can do is just make the best decision with the evidence that we have available to us yeah. at the moment. And if you're really wanting to go for the lowest risk possible, then lifestyle treatments, changing what you eat, how you move, working with your body can be as effective than a lot of medications, especially for things like acne. Yeah. For some people with more severe hirsutism, it might not be enough, but yeah. especially for acne, in most cases, it is enough. And that could be the way that you go if you're really wanting the lowest risk and mm. the lowest side effects. Yeah, and if you if you do that for hirsutism, you can take the lower dose. True. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So and you therefore can work them together. Yeah. Yeah, combining it, or maybe doing like laser hair removal and lifestyle treatment to kind of manage it as as a as a way that you could get around it, especially yeah. if it's um, not as severe. So, do any of these medications work long term? Racutane, Accutane is the, probably the only one that's long-term. Yeah. Spiro definitely doesn't. It only works while you're on it. The pill definitely doesn't. It only works while you're on it. And we've talked about how that actually they can make it worse while you like in the long-term once mm-hmm. you come off it. Mm-hmm. Um, doxycycline as well only works while you're on it. Maybe not even that effective. Was it effective for you? Uh, I went on it once. I think the first course I had was like three months and then that cleared my skin quite well and then a couple of years later I went on it again um oh, I've been on all of them like oxycycline how do you I don't even know how you say it oxycycline or oh okay oxy- so it's probably just a different brand name doxycycline then tetris tetracycline tetris, yeah um yeah I was put on oxy first then doxy and then doxy wasn't really working and then I was put on try or whatever so I went up one each time I was on that for nine months wow my acne wasn't as severe but it was Mm. still really bad Mm. so I was like okay it's making it 10% better I'll just carry on because I didn't really I didn't actually know the side effects of it when 
um I was on it and like then afterwards I've had so many like gut issues and stuff and now I'm just like oh my god I took that for nine months because when I when I took it I was 20 the first time I took it was 19 second time I took it it was 21 22 Mm. and yeah I just didn't I just didn't know anything around it and I guess like I don't know maybe when you're a bit younger you just don't think to look into it as much yeah but also it shouldn't be up to air we shouldn't be the ones looking into it right yeah. we should we should you know get informed consent to take mm, this so mm-hmm. it's like yes this might help but this is the effect that it can have um yeah and maybe even i don't know like because even at like 19 do you even have the knowledge or the foresight or maturity to even go yeah I can see how that wouldn't work long term I bet some people do but yeah I don't know if especially if you're in the heat of the moment and it's really affecting you and that's all you're just like oh if that's all give it to me but maybe if it was like weighed up with other options like okay you could do that or you could do this Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah it feels it feels really wrong to me that we don't get all of the information yeah and it's kind of just like oh well I gave you the pamphlet and it's like yeah but the pamphlet just kind of lists out all of these like side effects not like actually telling me okay this is an antibiotic yeah this is what antibiotics do yeah antibiotics are really only designed to be taken for these things but you know we're now using it for something like acne which is what it was never designed to do Mm -hmm. and we don't really yet know the long-term ramifications of taking um a low-grade antibiotic for nine months because yes we can say it's not going to kill you but apart from that we don't really know yeah and it's such a shame like things like changing like your diet and changing like they're really simple they're simple things that will make you feel better as well yeah um but yeah maybe when you you just don't have the like kind of resources or like information on that you just are like okay this is my only option yeah well it's certainly not like what your doctors are going to tell you to do because that's not what they know and and understood that is not what they have been taught and not what's in their kit bag to offer you Mm. and they can only offer you what they know um and you've gone and this is why i think maybe you know we need god we could rant about this for ages but need a massive overhaul in like the in medicine but we kind of almost need to be a little bit careful who we're asking information of because mm. it's like I always give the analogy of if you're building a house and you asked your builder, like the carpenter, the person that's working with the like timber and um, drywall or jib and you know like the actual structural elements, if you then are asking them about the electrics that's not their job mm-hmm. and you know they might know a little bit because they work alongside an electrician but they don't know all the regulations they don't know the benefits of different things they certainly um wouldn't know how to do that maybe even in the safest manner to stop your house burning down so if you ask them to do that then you are likely setting yourself up for failure mm-hmm. and it's the same thing i think in health if you ask someone for information when it's like maybe not their area of expertise or they're not like a real specialist in that then you're probably only going to get quite vague Mm. responses from that but unfortunately Mm. all we really know is that go to your doctor your doctor is like trusted source of truth and it's like yes but 
are they really the best person for everything? No, mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. not. Like not one person can know all of yeah. that information about everything. And and so therefore the quality of that information that we get is likely going to be much reduced than going to someone and it doesn't have to be like it's not like okay well you just need to skip the a general doctor and go straight to a dermatologist it's like well no again they've been trained in a medical setting so they're not going to know about other um treatments like lifestyle treatments or naturopathic treatments mm. which might be a lot better it was like when um so my daughter flossie had quite bad eczema when she was younger when she was born <clears throat> so from when she was only a few weeks old she started developing eczema and which is quite interesting because I genetically there's virtually no eczema in my family a little bit on my partner's side but further back like his grandmother so Flossie's great-grandmother so it's not really a strong genetic connection and so we were trying lots of things to help with this and so we swapped her onto because she was being breastfed and formula fed because I didn't have great milk supply so she was formula fed so we swapped her formula I was reducing lots of things in my diet in case that was triggering her um, and then nothing really worked and so we went to the doctor and the doctor gave her steroid cream because she was it was to the point where she was like bleeding from that mm-hmm. yeah so it was it's really awful to see like a tiny baby Aww. and I mean this is the same thing with every parent as well with like teenagers with acne and you know they just want yeah. they just want help you and mm-hmm. So, and I talked to the doctor and the doctor was like, well, well, you know, here's a steroid cream. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm happy to do that for, to kind of like repair the barrier and stop the bleeding. But then we've got to actually work on the problem. Yeah. And her doctor was like, yeah, Claire, you keep talking about a problem, but like there is no like problem here. It's genetic. She's got eczema. She'll have that for the rest of her life. She'll just need to be on moisturizers and steroid cream for the rest of your life that's just her lot in life and I was like are you serious I was Mm. like absolutely not he was like okay well that's what I can give you if you want a different answer go and see someone else and I was like yeah actually you're right that is true you you are giving me what you know Mm. but what you know is not the sole source of truth Mm. And so I need to go and ask different special specialists from different modalities what they would do because that is like because I was saying to him, well, we know that I was like, it's like saying someone that develops type two diabetes, it's just because it's just genetic and lifestyle plays no role. And he was like, Yeah, but that's different. And I was like, it's not any different. But anyway, it's no point kind of like talking to you about it because that is your view of the world. That's your education and I respect that I respect Mm. what you can give me yeah it's not to not to try and tell you you're wrong but actually just to go and ask other people of for their different ways of viewing the world and what they would do so I and luckily I'm in this space so I kind of know that um but I you know like I think the hard thing is if you are not in this area and not don't work in this field you don't necessarily know well then where do I go yeah because it all we've been talked to is just to go to your doctor yeah. so for her I talked to um a a colleague who's a Chinese medicine practitioner and she said no she's under six months so Chinese medicine like herbs and things would do, be too strong yeah. so we ended up going down the homeopath route and it was incredible within like two weeks her eczema had cleared entirely and it's never returned which is great so we've had incredible success with that and but I'm not you know like I'm not bagging medicine though again it's like 
that is what they're they can give me and they've given me that but it's up to me then to go and ask other like areas for that and so um the same thing goes I think for acne is that we just need to be aware of other potential treatments and where that could go and so if you have been only or not kind of bang your head against a brick wall with your doctor about this then it's time to go elsewhere or even from the start it's time to go well I'm not really keen on those medications that you just talked through so I need to find another solution another answer and there always is other answers mm-hmm. um, it's just about starting to ask questions and look elsewhere for that so things like lifestyle changes like changing your diet and how does that link back to stopping your hair growth or helping with your acne like how does that link back yeah I I think I can see that it seems sounds like quite a fast stretch because you're like surely like what I'm eating how does that cause my hair on my chin to grow yeah and it's not like it's like one food it's not like oh you know um gluten is causing your hair to grow on your face it's nothing like that it's about the underlying drivers of your PCOS so why is your body overproducing those androgens and we know from the research that your blood sugar and insulin play a massive role in that so as your body overproduces insulin that causes your cells to produce more testosterone and more testosterone then leads to as we said before, in your hair follicles, it causes them to turn into those terminal hairs. Mm. The same thing in your skin, it causes them to overproduce um, oil, which then leads to the acne. So when we, the thing is we need to go back through and finding out for you, well, what's driving that? So what is the problem for you? And that's where, so if you go to ov.io, just go through our questionnaire. It's completely free, and that will tell you at the end what's driving your PCOS. So you can see, okay, is this blood sugar and insulin? Is this stress hormones? And then from there, we can then change our lifestyle to suit that. So we do know that changing what we eat can significantly improve your blood sugar and insulin. And so, and in that way, once our insulin comes down, then our testosterone comes down. Then we're not getting the overproduction of oil or no new hair follicles are being turned into those terminal hairs so that's how it works it's not just because it's like one single food although we do know that dairy has a specific uh, mechanism in acne Mm. and that's probably the one the only one thing I would say is that that is like for some people not all Um, and I do see some other um, foods for some people I've got a patient at the moment who's really sensitive to soy Um, so yeah there are some things that can but on the whole it's not about removing foods or specific foods to improve those it's about finding the driver and then putting the right like steps in place and it might not even be food for you it might be sleep or it might be stress management um and for you I know that is is actually far more likely yeah yeah (laughs) very specifically because we know like when we talked about what your drivers are and what is going on for you but um, so it might be about not really focusing on like what you're eating, like that plays a little bit of a role, but also some of those other things have a much more important role for you. So mm. when you know that, then you can actually focus on the really important changes as opposed to thinking, okay, I have to cut out like all these different foods and then I have to be taking probiotics and then I have to be taking all these different supplements when actually, no, like it's an absolute waste of money. Yeah. Um, 
you maybe like one or two of those supplements, three maybe, plus like these three changes are going to have the 80% of the improvement for you and you can live a really normal life uh, and just focus on those few things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. That was good. Um... Do you want to... Um... Yeah, is there anything else you want to, like, kind of, like, maybe even, like, a case study? So, like, okay, so say um, I came to you and I was, this was, like, what would you, what would you recommend or what would the options be? Um, like, my my stuff you could do or you could use something else but I just think that sometimes it's really helpful to put it in a real life context yeah I'm trying to think so okay so if someone came to you with severe acne Mm. Um, it was really affecting their like mental health and but they like have quite a good lifestyle eat quite well like what would you suggest in that case yeah so I think the main thing is you can be eating really well but still have those drivers of PCOS that are impacting that so we'd actually Mm -hmm. first figure out what is that for them so Mm I was probably the classic case of this, that I was like an elite athlete, so I was exercising really well and like following all the sports nutrition guidelines. So I was eating well. I was eating really low fat diet and all of the all of the recommendations at that time. Yeah. But my body was still like insulin resistant. So it still wasn't um yeah, it still wasn't responding very well to what I was eating. And that was still one of the drivers for my acne and for my other symptoms. So I would kind of not even, like, even if they were eating really well, I still would not, I'd still do, like, take them through and figure out what's driving that. Mm. And then, and then I'd, like, suggest them, i say, well, these are the other treatments you can have as well. Like, it doesn't have to just be lifestyle. It can be a combination of both. And sometimes for the for people, they need that extra boost to just get them through that six months and then we mm. can kind of, like... Um, work on it or I might say I think that this lifestyle treatment will be effective within two months Mm. and we'll know within two months whether it is for acne I definitely think that we can see an improvement in two months in acne and if are you willing to give it a go for that long and then if not add in another treatment Um, so I think that I'd probably give them a time frame of when we can expect to see that if it was like hirsutism it's a little bit longer it's more what we tend to see is more kind of like six months and it's like a slowing of hair growth and then um, maybe then if they got like laser hair removal because the thing is with the hairs that are already there they don't just fall out like you have to either remove them Mm. like mechanical removal like shaving or plucking which then they go back or you have to permanently kill them and then so what you permanently kill with laser hair removal it will work but it just if you're not actually treating the um, issue, more hair will grow back. So if you're wanting to see like exactly how much it's improved, you kind of have to then do that and then see um, 
yeah just the kind of like the improvement after you've done that as well so that's why I generally say to people if money is not plentiful like if you can't just be doing laser all the time wait a little bit do the treatment first and then get laser mm-hmm. hair removal mm-hmm. and sometimes or it could be a combination it could be lifestyle it could be going on the pill or spiro it could also be metformin and then doing that if that's what they're you know what they're interested in doing so yeah. it's not a one or the other it can be both it just really depends on what your goals are and like how quickly you want to see success or how you know if mentally you can cope with another two months then cool let's give it a try but if yeah. you're like no like I'm literally like I won't even go to school tomorrow if yeah. like my acne's not fixed I'm so devastated by it then I'd yeah. be like well that's a massive impact on your life mm-hmm. let's give you the you know most um you know most effective treatment which would probably be them all together yeah immediately yeah so I think the thing to remember is that there is always more than one option that you can have and it doesn't have to just be drug based it can be drug and lifestyle or lifestyle alone um but that this is your choice like you shouldn't feel pressure from anyone to do it any particular way and this is why we try and be as agnostic as possible like even if it wouldn't be my way that I would do it myself that doesn't matter because I'm not you and I'm not in your shoes and therefore I, you know, I want to give you all the options available to you and then you talk about all the pros and cons and then you can make a much more informed choice. I think that's the thing, is just to that you should never feel judged for any choice that you make by anyone that you're working with. It's yeah. um, And just don't be scared to ask as many questions as you need to f- fully understand what you're taking and fully understand the pros and cons and the ramifications. Mm, and if they can't answer, then find someone yeah can yeah and also just realize that whoever you're asking understand like their view of the world and their training so you really understand like the the likely answers you're going to get it's like again remembering the like if I ask my builder about electrics I'm going to get a like just a far inferior response when I if I actually ask the electrician who is the specialist in this area so um yeah it's just remembering as well who you're asking and what you're asking same thing with me like I you know we're talking about this now but you go and ask your pharmacist and they'll be able to tell you much more specifics about the mechanism of that drug and what it interacts with in this so yeah go to like use this information as a starting point but if you want more go and ask the expert go and ask the person that studied pharmacy for five plus years yeah Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals, as appropriate, regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.